Welcome to Fearless Mom. Today is session two of our series, Parenting Posture, where we are looking at the posture that we should take, the stance that we should take to parent most effectively. We've been given a great privilege, a great responsibility to raise up these children. And we said last week that the best posture to take is to embrace that role of authority. So you need to turn to your neighbor and tell her, you are a boss babe. You are a boss, babe. And so as we get started, we're going to talk a little bit more today about what that looks like, implementing that role of authority while also working on trust and relationship at the very same time. They can coincide. That's what we're going to talk about. But before we get started, we want to welcome in our online moms. So if you're watching or listening, we're so glad that you are tuning in today. We're glad that technology has connected us. And we want you to feel, we hope you feel, a group of moms in Austin cheering you on. We are with you, we are for you, and good news, we don't know what we're doing either. So you are not alone, but we are working together to be the best moms that we can be. So let's start with a word of prayer and we'll get into it. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this time that you've set aside for us. I thank you for the technology that connects us to so many moms. I thank you for every family represented. Right now, God, we ask that you settle our hearts and our minds. Open our eyes and our ears to see and hear what you want us to learn today so that we can be the moms we were created to be. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. I also want to remind you guys that this is a great series to watch or listen to with your husband now, or the, uh, your child's father. Doesn't mean that you have to have him on the same page, but it certainly is helpful. That does not absolve you, mom, of the responsibility of being the best mom that you can be. Um, I've mentioned before that my kids are super different. As a matter of fact, they are complete opposites. But Joe, when he was little, he is now 23. When he was little, he loved Legos. I mean loved Legos. He started doing them independently when he was about four, you know, the small boxes, which was super interesting to me because if you'd seen Joseph eat Cheerios when he was a toddler, you never would have thought he would have the fine motor skills to do Legos. This is how Joe ate Cheerios. Um, his hand was typically sticky and he rolled it around. <laughs> And then he just put it near his face. Some of it made it in. We're talking no pencil grass so for those of you. So I just want you to know that Joe, and like many of your children, I'm sure, they develop at their own pace. And so we embrace that. So I will tell you that if your child eats Cheerios like that, it'll come, it'll come. In time, it will come. But Joseph ended up loving Legos. And it was something that he and I enjoyed doing together. And so as he got older, we got the more advanced ones. And he always dreamed of getting to that pinnacle. And those of you who have boys know the Legos that we dream about. And those are the big, like, Millennium Falcon, you know? So that was the goal for Joe. The Millennium Falcon. So he got it for Christmas, and he and I were going to put the Millennium Falcon together. Together. Oh, we were going to put it together. Together. And so we got the Millennium Falcon out. And any of you who have boys, this is the thing about, like, and girls do them too. Emily also did them. But Joe loved them more. So you dump out the pieces 
of the Millennium Falcon. And I just want to tell you, they're about two billion. <laughs> two billion pieces. And they're all different shades of gray. They're all like there's dark gray, medium gray, light gray, light, light gray, light, light, lighter gray. Uh, it, it is overwhelming. But we took it one step at a time. And Joseph loves to follow the book. If you've ever done a Lego project, then you know it is one page at a time. And you turn the page. And so, Joe, we poured it out. We overwhelmed, yes. Messy, yes. But we divided them. We got our strategy. And then we started to put it together one page at a time. And then sometimes you turn the page and you turn the page and we would do it two blocks at a time, four blocks at a time. Remember, this book goes about three blocks at a time, so it had like a million pages. And so one page at a time, one, and then we'd get to a few pages and we'd think, oh, we did that wrong five pages ago. So we would undo and go back. And then we would go one page at a time. And Joe was a stickler. And it was incredible. He would say, I would say, I would turn the page. No, mom, there's one more. And it would be a minuscule block that was supposed to go on the edge. Any of you guys know what I'm talking about. But eventually, and I'm talking, this took a long time. The table was a mess for a long time. Eventually, we got that Millennium Falcon done. He put the last brick on. And I said, this is amazing. Don't ever touch that thing. <laughs> We are putting it on the shelf. Anybody else done that? Is You've done those projects. You're like, this was so fun. Nobody's allowed to touch it. You may look at it from across the room because we worked hard on that thing. The thing about doing a big Lego project, as a matter of fact, there were times when I wanted to throw the Millennium Falcon across the room. As a matter of fact, I thought this is more of the Death Star than the Millennium Falcon. I hate this project. I hate it. But we stuck with it. And we'd go back. We'd take a break. And we go back to it the next day. It's a lot like parenting. It's a lot like parenting. One page at a time. And when you get that baby, or when your toddler fit, or when you have that preschooler, or you've started, you know, elementary or middle school, you are overwhelmed. And you know what? One step at a time. One brick at a time. One page at a time. You will make mistakes. You apologize, you go back a few pages, and you redo it. It's the same thing. And you end up with a final product, an adult child who gives you grandchildren. <laughs> that is the goal, I hear. That is, but to be fair, not all, you know, uh, I, my, none of my children are dating anybody. So, you know, I'm, we're, we're, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. But that adult child is our goal. And we do have to be relentless. A lot like when you're doing a long-term project, the Millennium Falcon or the Death Star. But you can do it. It's messy. It's overwhelming. It's complicated. You will make mistakes. But you won't quit. And you stay at it. That is the key to good parenting. Parenting is hard, but only if you're doing it right. Only if you're doing it right. So we're going to start today by making sure that we are on the same page with our definition of what it means to parent. To parent means to do your best to set your child up for his or her best life. Best life. To do your best to set your child up for his or her best what? Life. Best life. You see, there's a, there's a phenomenon. There's a trend today. We have actually changed the definition of parenting over time. We didn't do it. It wasn't an overnight change. But over time, we changed the definition. And we changed the why of parenting. And when you change the why, you change the how. 
So we look at it and we say, my job as parent, my role is to prepare my child for what? Life. But if, we're, if we look around today, we see the trend says, my job is to prepare my child for happiness, for college, for I need to do everything I can and make sure she's in the right program so she makes varsity, so he makes the team, so she makes the squad, so he makes the band, so she's in the choir. Whatever it is, we've changed it. And when you change the definition of parenting, you change the how. And so we're going to make sure we're on the same page and we understand that, yes, college is a part of life maybe for your child, maybe not. But that's just a part of life. That's not the end goal. My job is to prepare my child for what? For life. It goes way beyond college. Because if I begin to see college as the end game, I've now changed the why of parenting. So it's going to make me change the how. Because then I'm so afraid. Well, what if she doesn't take this AP class? Then she won't take this one in eighth grade and this one in ninth grade and this one. And then she'll never get into college. See how it's now changing my why. Now it's going to change my how. So I'm going to get in there and I'm going to start doing homework assignments with her slash for her. I'm going to be doing things. I'm going to make sure we've, we've over-programmed so that we have private lessons and private tutoring because I've changed my why. But when I remember the why to prepare my child for life, it changes the how I parent because now I look at it and I go, you want to take an AP class? You want to take AP? Okay, can you do AP and also have extracurricular and also have time for friends and also have time for family and also do church? If you can do all those things, then man, I'm all for the AP. But I, when Emily was in fourth grade, her math teacher came to me and said, you know what, she's going to want to do these classes later, so I suggest you get a, a tutor now or start working with her now. And I said, mm, I appreciate that so much. Here's the deal with teachers. That's their job to push your child academically. That's excellent. My job is to prepare my child for what? And so I looked at it, I looked at our schedule, and I said, if she's good enough to do that class, she'll get in that class. And if she's not, then she'll be in the regular class, and we'll all be real happy. And so it's part of it. Preparing our kids for school is part of our job. But our real job is to prepare our children for for life. Guys, it changes how you do things. We have to understand our responsibility. Galatians 6, 4 and 5 says this. You've heard it before and you'll hear it again. I'm going to drill it in your head. I, you don't know. I'm working on scripture memory with you people. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Listen carefully. Let's put that in the context of parenting. We are each responsible. I'm responsible for my behavior. My child is responsible for his behavior. We are each responsible. My job is to discipline so that it eventually becomes self-discipline. Does that make sense? I control some things. I don't control my child. I, I help him find so that eventually it becomes self-control. We want to pass the baton of responsibility. Does that make sense? So now it's changing how I parent because I've changed the why to prepare my child for life. As a mom, I am not responsible. Say not. not. Say it like you mean it. Not. not. I am not responsible, number one, for making sure my child is happy. Uh, that, that's not my end goal here. 
we know that if we teach these principles that it leads to future happiness, that doesn't mean that my child will always be happy and go, mom, thank you for giving me that negative consequence. I see that I was wrong. Thanks. Yeah, it's probably not gonna happen. It's okay. We have to get comfortable with our kids being uncomfortable. So I'm not responsible for making my child always happy. I'm not responsible for making sure everyone thinks I'm a good mom. Some people do not think I'm a good mom. Some people did not think I was a good mom. I'm pretty strict um, about some things and I'm pretty loosey-goosey about other things. I consider Cheetos a full meal deal. Um, you know, it was dairy, it was even corn, like a vegetable or starch. I mean, you know, I, so uh, everybody, you do you, you do you, and um, I'm not responsible for it. it. Again, it changes how I parent if I change the why. If I start parenting for other people, it's gonna change how I parent. I am not responsible for controlling my child. P.S., because you can't. <laughs> so go ahead and toss that towel in now. And so you do your best to set your child up for his best. And they make their own choices. And if you have a child who's ever pick, pitched a fit in a public place, then you know that you can't control your child's behavior. And that is just fine and dandy. And then number four, I am not responsible for doing for my child what he's capable of doing for himself. I am not responsible for doing for my child what he's capable of doing for himself. I'm not saying you can never fix your child's lunch. I'm not saying you can never make your child's bed or you can never. I just want you to remember the why you parent. You, prepare, you parent to prepare your child for and so we want them to be capable of doing those things. We want to pass the baton of responsibility. Actually, studies show, we said this, the longest longitudinal study ever done from Harvard's grant study um, says that the success, they tracked these kids. It was, there were 724 that are still in the study. And they said the best predictor of future fulfillment and success, they did chores. They did chores, amazing. Okay, as a mom, what am I responsible for? I am responsible for equipping my child to be an independent, competent, resilient adult. I am responsible for that. I embrace that responsibility. I am responsible for teaching, training, directing, and correcting, which we call discipline, for teaching, training, directing, and correcting my child. I am also responsible for staying in the game. I am responsible. I choose to continue to be engaged no matter what. I will not quit. Sometimes I need a break. Other times I need a snack. But I will not quit. Turn to your neighbor and say, never quit. Turn to your other neighbor, what do we say, who's obviously your second favorite, and say, don't give up. You monitor yourself and understand and recognize when you need some self-care. And do it. Take responsibility for that. I'm feeling super frustrated. I'm feeling exhausted. Do, you know, you, everybody has a different threshold. Recognize your capacity. You're responsible for that. Don't wait for other people to come in or don't wait until you're crumbling on the floor in Chick-fil-A, hypothetically. Okay, so, and another thing I'm responsible for, I am responsible for giving it my best. I am responsible for doing the work. And parenting is hard work, but only if you're doing it right. And so I get to choose how engaged I am. 
And so I have been given this responsibility. I don't have to ask myself if I'm a mom and I have children in my care, whether by court order, by adoption, by marriage, or by birth, I have the calling on my life to parent them. And so I will do my best and I will not give up. And you don't have to wonder if that is your job or not. That is your job. Our job is to do our best to set our kids up for their best. We already talked last week about how psychologists, they've all agreed that the most effective parenting and the, the, apparent, the parenting style that best suits our children and best sets them up for their best is authoritative parenting. Authoritative parenting. And whenever we um, use the word authority, based on your experience, um, I have different reactions from people when I say we are to be the authority. Here's the deal. Yes, we are supposed to set boundaries, and yes, we are supposed to build relationships because the most effective parenting is about correcting and connecting. It's both. The most effective parenting involves both correcting and connecting, and you can do both. You can be a disciplinarian and you can build relationship and trust. You can do both. And studies show that it's actually the best kind of parenting to do both. Your pendulum shouldn't swing too far either way. So let's review what we said. We have the authoritarian parenting. Authoritarian is high demands, you know. And so we are, um, what do we call her? Sergeant Sally. Sergeant Sally is authoritarian. And then over here, we have permissive, and that's pushover Paula. She gets, this is how she disciplines. I told you not to do that. Don't do that again. Don't, don't do that again. I, I can't believe you're doing that again. Do not do that again. I'm telling you. So we've got, I said don't do it again. Go to your room for 19, you know, hours. And then over here, we've got, so I'm like, hey guys, I mean, we're laughing, but I've been both. I've definitely been both. This is me as pushover. I didn't see anything. I saw nothing. And I, and especially when my children were younger and Mac would be on the phone with me and he would say, don't let them talk to you that way. And I'm like, what way? I don't even hear anything, <laughs> you know. I'm like, I didn't hear anything. And then there were times when I, which I'll get into that, when I perhaps overreacted <laughs> one or two times. Uh, but in the middle, so we have, what do we have? Sergeant Sally over here, pushover Paula over here. We have authoritarian and we have permissive, but here's the sweet spot, authoritative. This is Coach Kelly. And Coach Kelly, she definitely gives instruction and sets boundaries and gives consequences, and she builds the relationship, and that's our sweet spot. And again, God's directives in Scripture, it backs all of it up, and it says this is the way your life works best. Whenever God gives commands, whenever he gives directives, it is out of his love, because of his love, and it's simply the way our lives work best. So in Ephesians, um, he begins to, uh, Paul breaks down the family and how everyone is supposed to, what role they're supposed to play. And so it begins, and it's not on the screen. I'm just gonna read this to you. Children, obey your parents, because this may be something you wanna memorize. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. Don't you think? I, I think that's a good one. You may want to you know, have a shirt printed. <laughs> if you honor your mother, then things will go well for you. Uh-huh. But then let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, this is directed at fathers, but we, um, in our family, we parent together. So fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. My kids have always loved this verse. Another version says, uh, fathers, do not exasperate your children. And so Emily and Joe used to tell him all the time, I think you're exasperating us. Uh, The Bible says you're not supposed to exasperate us. I think you're exasperating us, yeah. But this is the deal. It says, do not exasperate. What? What the Bible is saying here is, yes, you're supposed to set boundaries. Yes, you're supposed to give instruction. Yes, you're supposed to discipline. But you're supposed to discipline with purpose, with intentionality. I'm not disciplining just because it's annoying me. Or I'm not disciplining just because I have the power. I'm disciplining with purpose. I'm setting boundaries with a purpose. Why? To prepare my children for to prepare my children for life. And so there's a difference. I want a parent with purpose, hey, wait a minute, but without emotion. Ah, I want a parent with purpose, but without emotion. And does this mean that my children are never gonna be exasperated with me? My children still get exasperated with me. And that's okay. That is the family dynamic. They are learning how to respond to authority. Confession. I get exasperated with God. I go to my ultimate authority, and I'm like, are you joking me? How have you not figured this out yet, man? My way, trust me, do it my way, guaranteed it will work better. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I get exasperated, and I challenge that authority in the same way my children challenge my authority. That's life, and actually that's part of what we're doing. We teach healthy authority so that one day they understand healthy authority with God. Because remember, I'm preparing my children for life. And so am I the authority? Yes, I am. And they're always supposed to honor their mother and father. But eventually, they will not live with us anymore. So they need an ultimate authority. That's my real goal. But again, you parent with purpose, but without emotion. A lot of us, when we think of authority and we think of discipline, then we only think punishment. Punishment is negative consequences only. That is part of it. That is not all of it. Discipline is consequences, negative and positive, plus equipping. We have a relationship, and we're explaining. I'm not talking to the two-year-old in the middle of her fit. When I talk about explaining, I'm talking about I try to be preemptive and explain, and then after the tantrum, I will go back and revisit it and explain. But I I think we have to understand that discipline is not just consequences. It is the act of correcting and directing, teaching and training to prepare my child for It's pretty simple, guys. And we overthink discipline. Discipline actually comes from the word that means instruction and knowledge. So discipline means I'm giving instruction, I'm giving knowledge to prepare my child for life. Not just I'm fixing this behavior. It's I'm giving instruction to prepare for life. I'm saying don't throw a fit in the store because your life will work better if you don't. 
I'm saying don't argue with me in, you know, the middle of, I don't know where. Emily argued with me everywhere, so really just anywhere. It, because your life will work better. She needs to understand how to go to her boss, how to go to anyone else, how to go to any authority to discuss things. She needs to learn appropriate. So it's preparing them for life. We take discipline and we put it over here in this box and we go, it's different from everything else. It's so overwhelming because it's all about behavior and that affects everything. Take a step back and go, okay, think about it. If I'm supposed to teach and instruct appropriate behavior, if I'm supposed to teach and instruct how life works best, then how do I teach my child to talk? Well, you know, most of us, we didn't have a plan. We didn't read a book about how to teach our kids to talk. What some of you may have. Good for you, girl. That, yeah, that is amazing. But so let's look at that. Well, I modeled for them. Say, mama. Say, mama. I modeled. I told what I expected. And then when she said, dada, I corrected, <laughs> and I said, no, ma'am, mama, mama. And then when she said, I said, say mama, say mama. And she said, mama, now I praise, I do cartwheels, I get Cheerios, goldfish, you know. I just rewarded. And then whenever she would say, dada, I would say, mama, mama, mama. How many said dada first? Any of you? Yeah, you know what Emily said first? Mac. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, that's so close to mama where we're getting there. But here's the deal. All I did was I stated the desired behavior, and then I rewarded what I wanted her to repeat, and I discouraged what I didn't want her to repeat. That's all I did. That's all you do with behavior. It's the exact same thing. And so I go ahead and determine what behavior do I want. And this is real important. There are two kinds of behavior, acceptable and unacceptable. And so, for instance, you got to understand there's understandable behavior that's unacceptable behavior. Let me give you an example. Your toddler pitches a fit because you say no ice cream. That is understandable. I, too, want to pitch a fit when someone says no ice cream. So it's understandable, but is it acceptable? No. So I give a negative consequence. No, ma'am. And then I move on. And then no ice cream for you. And nor today, tomorrow either. I give a consequence and I move on. Or let's say a teenager, a preteen girl. You tell her it is time for her to clean the kitchen and hypothetically speaking, she rolls her eyes at you. Is that normal? Yes. Is it understandable? Yes. Is it acceptable? No. So I give a consequence, move on. Does that make sense? So you have to understand the difference there. There are, there are understandable and normal behaviors that still are not acceptable. And so they'll raise to the occasion or they'll lower to the bar. You determine where you want your child to stand. So you have to understand the difference before you start even your discipline plan. But here's the deal. These are not bad kids. When I talk about Emily pitching a fit, when I talk about Emily arguing or anything, she has a wonderfully strong will. That is a gift that she has. It's my job not to change it. It's my job to help her channel it. I don't want her less determined. I don't want her less passionate. This is a gift that she has, but I have the responsibility to prepare her for 
And so I'm going to help her use that. I don't want her to lose it. I want her to use it. Those are two different things. So just because you have a kid who bucks the system, you celebrate that. That is a gift. It's just a big responsibility that you have to help channel. Joe, you will look at Joe and you would go, man, he is so obedient. He is so compliant. Yes. And stubborn. Good grief, he is stubborn. And that's awesome. You know what another word for stubborn is? Determined. And we say, you know, be stubborn. We say all the time, persevere, stick with it. That stubbornness is a good thing. I don't want to change it. I just want to channel it. I don't want him to lose it. I want him to know how to use it. And so that's my blessing, my responsibility that I get to do. And so these are not every kid, every human is born with a predisposition towards self-promotion and self-preservation. Everyone. They're going to throw the spaghetti and see what sticks. And so then it's my job to say, oh, well played. Well played, but no. And so that's what discipline is. Simple discipline. Here it is. I'll post about it. You don't have to write all this down. Discipline simplified. Number one, establish the desired behavior. Get on the same page with your husband or your child's father. What do we expect? We establish it. Now we articulate and model the desired behavior to and for the child. Then give a positive consequence if the behavior is displayed. Give a negative consequence if the behavior is not. And then rinse and repeat over and over and over and over. Remember that Lego that I was talking about? One brick at a time, one page at a time, over and over and over, oh, I didn't handle that well. Well, I'm gonna go back four pages and then we're gonna do it again. Over and over, it is relentless, man. These kids, they are relentless. And that's amazing, that is a gift. And so I reward what I want them to repeat and I discourage what I don't. It's pretty simple. Now here's the key though. I parent with purpose, but without emotion. That is the hard part. Here are four things to look for. If you are responding in anger or if you are overreacting, whenever I've responded a little bit more than necessary, maybe a little disproportionate, I'm one of these four things. I'm embarrassed or I'm exhausted or I'm afraid or I'm offended. I've been all four probably last week. I've been all for it. I'm embarrassed because this tantrum was in front of my family at the holidays. I'm embarrassed because um, I am in a setting and I'm, you know, my son will not do what I've asked him to do. Um, and I feel like it looks bad on me. Uh-oh, wait, what is my purpose of parenting? It is not, I do not have the responsibility of making sure everybody thinks I'm a great parent. And so I have to tell, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. And so if I'm embarrassed or if I'm exhausted, I know myself and I know that when I am exhausted, I overreact to everything and about everything. And so I'm responsible for figuring out how to get enough sleep. I embrace the responsibility for myself and my behavior. So if I'm embarrassed, exhausted, afraid, sometimes, and this has definitely happened, one of my children did something and I thought, I've done it all wrong. And what did we say when we're operating out of fear? I now catastrophize. Um, I've done it all wrong. She'll never get married. She's going to be in prison. I can tell already. This is a pattern. We're already going down that road. No, whoa up. 
pump the brakes, okay? And so probably if I'm afraid that I need to check back, I'm making it about me. And I go, oh, I made a mistake. I can go back four pages and do it over. You can even go back 10 pages, 12 pages. We all make mistakes. And to be quite fair, when we got done with the Millennium Falcon, I'm very confident there were a few wrong pieces in the wrong places. But it was a great piece of art. And I'm still proud of it to this day. Or I'm offended. Now, if you um, have a competitive personality at all, then you're like, are you joking me right now? Um, I'm in charge here. Who do you think you are? And so again, all of those things, you look at it and you go, uh, I'm, not, I'm not parenting with purpose here. I'm parenting with emotion. So, and typically, by the way, anger is a secondary emotion. Almost always, it's in response to one of these things. And that's not just about um, parenting. That's in marriage, in friendships, or whatever. Take a look. If you're getting angry, typically that is a secondary. And we have to remember Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. My job as mom is to prepare my children for life. The best way I can prepare my children for life, there's no possible way, because believe me, I've tried to prepare my child for every scenario that he or she will face, but I can prepare his heart. I can prepare her heart, because that will determine how she responds to every situation she will face. And so guard your heart. So my job as mom is to prepare her heart. Discipline is more about preparing a child's heart than fixing a behavior. It's much more about preparing a heart than fixing a child's behavior. A healthy understanding of authority. So here I am. I'm embracing the role. I'm authoritative. I am Coach Kelly. I may have a shirt made. And so I am doing both. I am disciplining with purpose, but I'm also building relationship. Why am I working on relationship? Why do we do game night? I'm always teaching about family night, game night, family meals. You see that everywhere. You know why? Because relationship equals trust. Relationship equals trust. And I want and need my kids to trust me. The healthy, authoritative parenting is built on trust. It, yes, you build that relationship. You spend that time. You sit and listen to conversation after conversation after conversation. You play game after game after game. If you've got a baby, you sing song after song after song. You all with purpose. I'm pouring into this relationship so that then they trust me when I discipline. I am gonna hand down rules, but I'm, they're gonna be purposeful. They may not understand it, but they trust me. And they know that these rules, I'm not saying at age four, I'm not even saying at 14 they can articulate it. But looking back, and we'll talk more about this next week, they understand that my mom loves me, my dad loves me, and these rules are here for my best life. And so rules without relationship build resentment and rebellion. Rules without relationship build resentment and rebellion. And that's just Sergeant Sally. That's just focusing over here. And you dictate those rules, but you haven't put the time in on the relationship. Rules without relationship build resentment and rebellion. Rules with relationship build responsibility and respect. That's what we're going for. We're transferring the baton of responsibility, and we want them to understand a healthy respect for authorities. And so we work on trust, building trust. Define trust. We're going to go through this really fast. Define trust. Number one, 
It's feeling safe and carefree with another person, allowing transparency and vulnerability. Feeling safe and carefree with another person, allowing transparency and vulnerability. We say all the time in Fearless Mom, I wanna create a culture in my home that says, I'm home, I'm safe, I like it here. And so they can be vulnerable. Any emotion is okay to feel. We do have boundaries about expressing it. But any emotion is okay to feel. And we can have conversations as long as they are respectful in their tone. And so I create that safe place. How do I create it? A lot of listening. A lot of listening. And sitting. And playing games. Building Legos. Sitting some more. Just sitting. <laughs> playing. Watching football. And Joe has reminded me, his very favorite is when I watch with him and don't ask questions. Uh -huh. So we, we create that culture of transparency and vulnerability. Second, absence of fear of deception or injury from another person. There is no fear of deception or injury. Our house is safe. It is safe physically. It is safe emotionally. It is safe relationally. We can have tough conversations. I can get angry and apologize and come back around. We love all the time. There's nothing you will do that will make me quit loving you. I always love you. I'm upset right now, but I love you no matter what. And I, this is a safe place. And we are honest. We are relentless about honesty. I need you to be honest with me and I will be honest with you. And then reliability and dependability in things both big and small. Kids need to know my parents do what they say they're going to do. My parents do what they say they're going to do. I am reliable, I am dependable. On occasion, my children may have been late to school. I was never late to pick them up from school, mainly because they rode the bus. But no, I, I was never late, and we had a plan. If I wasn't gonna be home, then I let them know there was a plan. They didn't wonder, will my mom show up? Will my mom be there? If you're a person who always runs late, understand that may be very stressful for your kids. Recognize it. That doesn't mean you have to be a drill sergeant. It just means recognize that you may not notice, but you don't know what you're communicating to them. And that's from someone who never knows what day it is, much less what time it is. And so that is something that I had to really work on because I knew that it was important to my children, that they knew they could count on me. And so um, that have a plan, do what you need to do. And how do you build trust? One brick at a time. Just like that Lego, one brick at a time. Trust is about that culture in your home. And how do you do it? Sit, <laughs> I said that, and sit and sit, and sit some more. Eat, read, and play together. This is not about adding to your to-do list. I'm trying to help you be intentional in what you're already doing. Odds are you drive places in the car. So be intentional about that time in the car. Odds are you are, um, you know, if you have little ones, you're doing bath time, you're doing play time, you're doing bedtime. Just be intentional about that time and go, okay, this is valuable. This is not a nuisance to me, I'm investing. This is an investment right now. It is worth it. And someday, you know, your husband, take turns, whatever. You're building that trust. You are playing together. And then, this is a hard one for me. Listen without comment. 
If you have kiddos, who sometimes you just need to listen. Now, this is what I would have to do with Emily because sometimes I felt like she was testing me, you know, in her elementary, middle school, like she was gonna say it and see if I was gonna react. And then if I didn't, that meant I was okay with it. You know what I'm saying? So I would say things like this. I would say, okay, I hear everything you're saying and I don't need you to, I'm not gonna say anything even if I disagree with you. I'll only say it if you ask me to. But I would try to prep her before because I could kind of feel like she was throwing it out there to watch my face and see my reaction. But that is neither here nor there. We're much better about it now. Listen without comment. Show interest in their interests. If you've got a kid who's into a game, if you've got a kid who's into a sport, if you've got a kid who's into a TV show, whatever it is, you get into it. You get into the book. You ask them about it. Be interested in it. Ask, engage. And say, oh, because you're saying you matter. You matter so much that I wanna care about what you care about. And so show interest in their interests. And then do everything to, you can to communicate that they're seen, heard, and liked. That they're seen, heard, and liked. I would have to pray, God help me be fully aware of facial expressions and body language today. So that I can say, mm, you look like something's bothering you. I tried so hard to be aware of those things because I wanted them to know that I noticed. And I wanted them to feel like there's a safe place that we care about you and that we like you. We, I'm so glad I get to be your mom. I'm so glad you're home. I'm so glad that we have this long weekend together. And sometimes you have to do it like this. I'm so glad, I'm so glad, I am glad. I'm glad, that's right, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad. I can do it, I'm glad. I'm gonna wrap up with some authoritative parent tips. There are five things. Five things to be an authoritative parent. There are many things. We're just gonna talk about five things that you can do. Number one, be present. Be present. You're like, oh yeah, that's amazing. Put your phone down. Be present. Instead of looking at this as this is something I have to do today, retrain your brain. This is something I get to do today. This is, this is a privilege, this is an honor, this is a calling, this is an investment that I'm making. Be fully present, engage when you can, put your phone down and pay attention to them. Number two, be proactive. What do I always say? Proactive is more than a zit cream, it's a way of life. So be proactive. So when you talk about the discipline, if you have a child that has a hard time leaving a park, leaving Chick-fil-A, leaving wherever it is, prepare before. If you've had tantrums the last two or three times, now you know, okay, I'm gonna arm her before we go. I'm gonna arm him before we go. And say, you know what, state your desired behavior and say, this is the positive consequence and this is the negative consequence. We're on the same page. If your child is two, then you, you don't have to use, also, Joe, that was one of his first words, taunts offenses. I don't want taunts offenses. I, I never even had to think of any for him. But because just the word taunts offenses was enough to throw him over the edge. But prepare before. And then notice if your child, we have a tendency to only notice the tantrum. Notice the good choices and reward them. That's part of that paying attention. Be proactive and notice the good. Notice the good and discuss those expectations before. And I will encourage you, when we talk about educating and instructing and equipping, it's not in the middle of the tantrum. 
And, and you're probably not gonna do a lot of equipping with your 18-month-old. You set them up, okay, we're gonna go in, be kind, that's it. You don't need to get into, because empathy will make a better life for you, you know. Um, you, you don't need to go there. And so, so be present, be proactive. Number three, be kind. Be kind to others. You're modeling kindness. You're modeling empathy. You're genuinely kind. So that pushover Paula has a gentle heart. If we can combine that with Sergeant Sally's vision for behavior, <laughs> then we get, you know, Coach Kelly. So be compassionate um, and validate their emotions and feelings. You don't belittle them or make them bigger than they are. Don't blow them off, but your children will learn from your empathy. Be present, be proactive, be kind, be consistent. Say what you mean and mean what you say. If you said you were gonna give a consequence, give a consequence. And so, and, and that takes memory and that's not my strong suit. And so I would have to really try to remember and give the consequence. I've already discussed it, so guess what? That, that's a warning. If, I, if I'm being preemptive here before we get there, and then we get there, and um, then the tantrum happens, even though we discuss it, or the, whatever the disobedience is, or the undesirable behavior, now I, I can give one warning. Remember what we talked about. And that's it. Now, next one, I'm sorry. I, when I have a plan, I'm less likely to panic. So I'm not gonna get emotional. I'm not gonna, oh, we had a plan, we agreed on it, mm, sorry, get in the car. And then that's it. Get in the car, you've given the consequence. Does that make sense? So th that plan is so, so, so helpful. And then the last one, be creative. Be creative. A lot of times moms will say, I, I just get tired of saying no, no, no all the time. Okay, well then think of what you can say. Instead of saying uh, no throwing, no throwing food, say, okay, keep your food on the plate. I said food on the plate. See, I just disciplined without saying no. And so, or, you know, no standing on your chair. No, get down. No, get down. Got feet on the floor. See how I can say it in a positive way? So be creative. Think, how can I try to do this? This was my kids. Actually, I, I wish they could explain it to you. They're, both of them, if you ask them their pet peeve about my parenting, it was when I was angry, but I still smiled. <laughs> and I'd say, who left this in the den? Who, who's, uh, whose plate is still on the table? And they're like, Mom, you know we hate it. And I go, I've learned that it's really hard to hurt someone when you're smiling. So this is for your protection. <laughs> but that would be their pet peeve. But uh, try to be creative and be positive. And does that mean, instead of if you feel like you're always hounding them. And guess what? If you have a strong-willed blessing and they have a strong will, they're going to keep pushing, keep pushing. You just keep giving the consequence. Oh, we've already got a plan. I don't need to be offended by this. I'm not afraid of this. I'm not embarrassed by, well, maybe a little embarrassed, but I'm not gonna respond out of my embarrassment. And I just keep giving it, keep giving it, keep giving it. So I've got a plan and a snack. So be creative. And you know your child. Because like, for instance, shopping is a reward for Emily. Shopping is a punishment for Joe. And so one time, um, Emily was dishonest, and she loves to tell the story because it was about something that didn't even matter. You know what the greatest punishment was? She, her grandmother had gotten her a new outfit for the first day of school. She had to wear old clothes. 
old clothes the first day of fourth grade. Oh, heavens. I mean, I wouldn't have even noticed, you know. And so, but I like to her, that she can tell you exactly what the outfit looked like. She can tell you what she had to wear. You see, it, it fit her. It was a big consequence to her. Another mother, or probably my dad, would have looked at that and rolled his eyes like, wow, Julie, getting crazy over here. But to Emily, that was a serious consequence. To Joe, it was like, I'm gonna take your Buzz Lightyear away. And that's all I actually ever had to say. I'm not sure we really ever had to take it away. <laughs> but every so often. And so we took his Buzz Lightyear away. And it didn't matter what, to him, anything negative was, ne any punishment, any negative consequence was so overwhelming to him. Emily, I mean, we had to really figure out, you know, what it was. And typically it was, yeah, you have to wear, you know, that outfit from last year. Heavens, you know. But... <laughs> It's all about building trust, and it's about building the relationship because eventually, again, it's not like your kids are going to agree with you, but they will trust you, and they will know as they get older. They will know, I don't agree with this decision, and I'm mad about it, but I know my parents love me, and they've put in the hours, and I know that it's for my best. And Brene Brown, sociologist Brene Brown, she studies trends and behaviors and documents and gives numbers. And I love, love, love her research. And she says that even though most of us would assume that trust is built with one big common experience or with um, just one big shared experience, it's actually built over time. She likens it to marbles in a jar. Every time someone, um, like we were saying, plays a game, she, she compares other things, and they put a marble in a jar. And so the people that you trust the most have the most marbles in the jar. Well, I think of it as a Lego set, where she would say, I'm putting one marble in the jar every time I engage and, and show interest in my children and all that. I'm gonna say I'm putting one Lego on at a time page by page, brick by brick. It's not about the games you're playing, it's about the bricks you're laying, one brick at a time. And so I'm gonna put the brick, and eventually, my kids, we will have a Millennium Falcon. And they will go, man, I love this relationship here. We don't agree on everything, but I know because of the Millennium Falcon that you, I can trust you. That's what it's about, and that is so valuable when we talk about um, discipline and preparing our children. Because again, we model for them healthy authority. Healthy authority says, here are the boundaries, but the boundaries are because I love you. And so evaluate again. Sergeant Sally, I need a little bit of her. Push over Paula, I need some of her too. Because my goal, right here, remember the pendulum. The balance, it's not about being the same all the time. Sometimes you gotta swing here, sometimes here. But the balance right here, authoritative. That's what sets our kids up for their best life. We're gonna move into our reflection. I wanna take you to take a couple of minutes. If you're listening or watching online, we encourage you to do the same, set a timer. But we want you to think about what we've talked about today. And I want you to think, okay, how can I establish that safe culture of trust in my home? What can I do this week? So we do the S-E-L-F, stop and pray. God, show me what I can do. And then E, evaluate. Look at yourself with honesty and humility and say, is there something I can do better? Is there some way I can get stronger? And then list, write down those things that you can do. 
write down, I want to be um, an authoritative parent. These are some things that I need to do this week. And then the last one is fight. You've gotta make that choice, I will do it, because it's not gonna be easy, but it sure is worth it. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your direction in scripture. I thank you for your assurance that you love us and you give us commands and boundaries because you love us. Help us to see how we can be authoritative parents, how we can model kindness and empathy and we can enforce boundaries and rules. Show us what we can do to be the moms that we were created to be so that we can raise up these kids to be who you created them to be. We lean into you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.